Welcome to the Immigration Hour. This is the uh, longest-running immigration podcast uh, in uh, in America. Do you know that, Hiba? Today, this is Charles Cook, your host. I am joined by my partner, Hiba Galib. Hiba? Hi, everybody. Welcome. Happy to be here. Oh, uh, see, Hiba's a little nervous about today because she doesn't <laughs> usually appear on the podcast, but Hiba's awesome, and I'm sure will contribute to our conversation today. I, I wanted to jump right in, Hiba, to this uh, Jared Kushner, uh, apparently Middle East peace has been solved, <laughs> and now he can dedicate his efforts to solving uh, one of the stickiest situations in, uh, in American politics, that of immigration. You know, when I was growing up, Social Security was considered mm-hmm. the third rail of American politics. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Social Security is an easy fix. <laughs> now it's border security. Now it's border security. It's about immigration. So Jared Kushner decides... Well, I mean, he's he's 34 years old. He should be able to fix immigration. I mean, just because people who have been doing this their whole lives and have decades of experience haven't been able to get a fix, he'll just come right in. And, you know, if we just join hands with Stephen Miller and just listen to the wisdom of this other 33-year-old know-nothing, perhaps we could come to terms with uh, with an immigration reform program that will that'll make us all happy. Oh, yeah. That's very realistic. <laughs> wait, wait, wait a second. Are you saying that I'm not being honest here? And Jared's going to fix this problem. I would be very surprised if if he's got an element of even knowledge that would be able to solve any of these problems. They're very complex. well. Wait a second. Wait a second. He was involved in the EB five program. Remember, he used to shill EB five, so he must know about EB fives, right? So if he knows about EB fives, the rest of it's easy. Oh right. So here's what we know so far about Kushner's plan to reform the American immigration system. One, he wants to add money for border security. Oh, wow, that, I didn't see that one coming from anywhere. How much? You mean $10 billion, $20 billion, $100 bajillion billion? Does, what if we just build? I got an idea. Let's build a wall. <laughs> Is that uh, your idea? Oh, wait a second. Somebody thought of this before? Yeah, somebody else has an idea for a wall yes. already? Yes, I think you've I, heard that wall before. I, that I can't believe that there's a, somebody come up with this idea before. Well, we should just build a wall. I mean, that will solve all our problems. Maybe a bigger wall. How big does it have to be? I mean, it's just, it has to probably, I mean, I don't know. Uh, well, hey, I have a question. I mean, here's, it has to be bigger than the tallest ladder. <laughs> yeah, but you can build ladders faster than you can oh, build walls. Oh, man. So, so a wall's not going to work. All right. Here, he also wants to give more visas for certain types of foreign workers mm-hmm. that look a lot like him and his father-in-law. Mm-hmm. Okay? But he also, in order to, because we can't in any way increase immigration, because heaven forbid we should increase immigration from numbers that were set 30 years ago, um, we should reduce family reunification mm-hmm. um, so that everybody's got something to dislike here. Right. Is that, that's, well, he had a meeting last week at the White House, uh, and he invited uh, a whole slew of, uh, of nativists from the Senate mm-hmm. to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, he invited a single Democrat. Uh, Lindsey Graham didn't even show up. Lindsey Graham is a sycophant for Trump, and he didn't even show up to this meeting. Uh, so they invited him uh, to this meeting. Uh, and apparently uh, Kushner has been working along with uh, uh, Stephen Miller. They, they're apparently their buddies now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think Kushner realizes that Miller doesn't like Jews either. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's, like it's not people. just brown people he doesn't like. <laughs> it's also probably Jews. So just... 
understand, you know, he's got a little bit of that far right in him there as well. So, of course, when these kind of details rolled out, that we're going to decrease family immigration, that we're going to have some sort of, quote, merit-based system um, that will not impact U.S. workers, uh, clearly immigration advocates, people who understand the benefits of immigration, who literally see the benefit of immigration literally in front of our eyes every single day, uh, we said it's too harsh. People said it's too harsh. Uh, emphasizing border security, giving preference to certain industries like tech and ag, but then taking family immigration is not not a fly. So that means there's literally zero chance it passes the House of Representatives. Mm-hmm. Zero. There's that. Then on the other side of the form, the other side of the aisle, um, the anti-immigration people like you know. By the way, this plan ignores. I mean figuratively and literally ignores the 10.7 million undocumented people Mm -hmm. and DACA kids and DREAMers and TPS. It just just doesn't deal with it. So what kind of plan is this? Well, well, you know what this plan sounds like, actually? It sounds kind of like the amnesty program from 86, and here's why I mentioned that. In 86, when, when Reagan and Bush were fighting over in the primaries in 1980 about who had the better amnesty plan, the idea was that uh, we would give everybody green cards and it would be fine. Yeah. There was no forward-looking process. So they, they think, well, we're going to. So it's the opposite. We're going to look forward, mm-hmm. but not look back. So making the same classic mistake, not fixing at all. Right. But think about this. Think, go back to the Obama years. Go back to 2013. What was the big complaint by Republicans about Obama wanting to do comprehensive immigration reform? The complaint was, oh, no, 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 no. We have to do it piece by piece. Mm. We, we, it's too broad. We can't possibly, we can't possibly do everything all at one time. Mm. We have to do it piece by piece. Now, the Republicans have it. Oh, we have to do it all at one time. Right. But we're going to ignore this really bad stuff over here. Um, so we're going to ignore that stuff. On the flip side, the, 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 uh, the, uh, the backers of restrictive immigration say it's too lenient. Because right. it doesn't cut overall immigration numbers. Mm-hmm. There's no cut to numbers. numbers right. Well, let's go back. Now, I graduated from law school 30 years ago this year. Wow. In fact, 30 years ago, maybe even today. Because um, uh, it's the middle of May, right? Yeah. So, middle yeah. of May. I guess we'll go back and take a look. Think about this. We had just passed amnesty in 1989. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't even take immigration law in law school. I mean, why bother? It was We fixed immigration. There was nothing to interest me in the subject. It wasn't until, you know, after I passed the bar, I realized, oh, my goodness, immigration is a massive issue for uh-huh. us. And we have all this, we have all these people fleeing Central America. Uh-huh. <laughs> History does tend to repeat itself, doesn't it? <laughs> um, and uh, a year later, there was this real feeling that we need to really look at immigration. So Congress passes and creates the Immigration Act of 1990, uh-huh. which was the first major overhaul of the immigration system since it was created in 1952. Mm-hmm. Really, we had the 1965, we'd, we'd done away with, per, we, we created these per-country limits, we'd done away with the Western Hemisphere preference, but we hadn't really looked at immigration. So that's when we created the five preference categories in family. So we created the, the, the five preference categories in employment-based immigration. Mm-hmm. Just to, you know, and we set these numbers. Now, if you go back, I don't know what the population of the United States was in 1990. I'm going to guess it was somewhere around 
$280 million, $270 million. We said, basically, we're going to allow in... 435,000 family members every year. Right. We're going to allow in 140,000 employment-based immigrants every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to allow unlimited numbers of immediate relatives. So in, in any given year, it's about a million people. Right. Because, you know, you take the, 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 the 600 or so thousand of, uh, of preference immigrants, you add refugees and asylees, which might be another 50,000, mm-hmm. 75 now, much lower, that are 50,000 diversity of people, and, you know, then immediate relatives, about a million or so a year, sometimes a little bit less, sometimes a little bit more, in a country of 280. Now we have 325, 330 million mm-hmm. people, and we're still saying, oh, now they're saying, oh, there's too many people here. I, mean, I don't know if you've driven around where you live recently, but yeah. it's in the Midwest recently, it's, you know, yeah. it's not like we're running out of space. And, in fact, the big conundrum we have, of course, here is the retiring baby boomers, mm-hmm. and we don't have people to replace them. And immigrants have literally bridged that gap over the last 30 years. I mean, it's, they've, they've been the lifesaver that's kept Social Security afloat, that's kept Medicare afloat, that's allowed us to do things we've never been able to do before, as well as have an explosion in the top market. You know, I was in law school when the stock market crashed in 1987 huh. and went down to 800. Wow. 800. <laughs> I mean, it was terrible. It was awful. It was, yeah. it was and now it's up at twenty five thousand one lower, depending when Trump crushes it today. So now you have, but now Jared, he's going to fix this. Well, he's fixing it instead of talking to people mm-hmm. who understand the immigration process right. and what draws people, what repels people, what what brings people, who we need. Right. He's talking to anti-immigrant nativists like Miller. Mm-hmm. Um, He's uh, talking to his father-in-law, who's clearly a, a bigot, if not a racist, uh, on, on immigrant issues, even though he tends to marry them. Um, and he's talking to big employers who say, I went more IT guys, and they're saying, well, we have, we, since we can't increase numbers, right. nothing says you can't increase numbers, by the way, uh, then we have to take away, you know, we have to rob Peter to pay Paul, so to speak. Yes. And um, when you think about that, that's simply not the way to fix the immigration system. Even, even if you're going to talk to employers, you need to talk to small employers, small businesses. These are the people that are running our country at the end of the day. It's the local mom and pop shops. It's the landscapers that are mowing our lawns. I mean, these are people that are looking for employers and or employees, and they're struggling. You know, Facebook does not run the U.S. economy. Right. I mean, they might have 10,000 or 20,000 employees, but there are 180 million people in the workforce, and 95% of them work for small employers. Right. And yet you're ignoring their needs in this process, and their needs are bodies right. to get this work Infrastructure, done. Infrastructure, I mean, construction in Atlanta is halted because we can't find enough people to There's work on There's not enough bodies to work on stuff. So, you know, it's really interesting. Uh, the guy who's the head of Numbers USA, a guy named Roy Baca, let's, you know, it's funny because the L.A. Times calls him a leading immigration restrictionist group when they should just say nativists. Yeah. You know, we don't like foreigners here. Uh, Roy Beck, I must go back to the Beck line in Germany at some point. Um, he was at the meetings with Kushner, but he said there's been little narrowing in the distance between advocates for immigration restrictions and lobbyists for the Chamber of Commerce and Coke Industries. <laughs> Coke can't buy anything, can they? You know, uh, Coke, by the way, is the is the funder 
of the Cato Institute, uh-huh. uh, the libertarian group, which is very pro-immigrant and very, uh, very pro-expanding the workforce in an increasingly tight labor market. Beck is, we totally pro- oppose any major overhaul that doesn't reduce the numbers we're about. But Beck doesn't control a, a majority in Congress. Uh-huh. And we know that even back in 2013, if uh, Boehner had put that, how, that bill on the floor, which would have fixed immigration for the next generation, it would have passed. And I blame, you know, that's the feet of Boehner for this. Um, Frank Sherry, and I love Frank, he's an awesome guy, um, he is with a, quote, liberal immigration group. Liberal immigration. LA Times has interesting titles for people. He's with America's Voice. He says, quote, I don't take it that seriously. Quote, I'm not even sure Trump is going to embrace it. Um, you know, you would think that Jared and his, and his dad-in-law would have dinner occasionally to talk about this kind of stuff. Um, but uh, this is, um, this bill is just not going to fix anything. No. It's not going to fix anything. No. Uh, yesterday, uh, Dan Crenshaw, do you know who Dan Crenshaw is? Mm-hmm. He's the one-eyed representative who got in a fight with oh. um, Ilhan oh, Omar. Omar from Minnesota uh, about stuff. Uh, he, I think he lost his eye in the war. Mm-hmm. And he's, he went on Fox and he was complaining about the loopholes right. in immigration law. The mm-hmm. loopholes. L- let's get that clear. The loopholes as if something in immigration law was just barely discovered. It was, oh my gosh. Why haven't we used this loophole for years? Right. Um, there are no loopholes in immigration law, which is wildly restrictive. Um, what, what Dan Crenshaw and others of his ilk are talking about is the right to apply for asylum in the United freaking States. That's the actual law. It's the actual law. It's not a loophole in the law. It's the actual law that's been in place since 1980. Mm -hmm. Well, Jared's bill doesn't fix the, quote, loophole in the law because, of course, we have treaty obligations that we have to live by. Mm -hmm. Now, Trump is good at abrogating treaties, but uh, think about this. this is not something that Jared is, uh, is going to fix. Now, I will tell you one reason to think Kushner's plan is bad is that our beloved senator, David Perdue, who I hope goes down in flaming defeat uh, next November, 108, and, and that, by the way, that election is a year and a half from today. I know, I've heard. A year and a half from today, 18 months from today, Blue said, line. quote, that... Uh, Purdue said Trump was, quote, very supportive of Kushner's plan. As for the details, quote, that's all still being worked on. The details. Uh, The details, uh, the actual language of the law. So they'd say, well, we can do this, but how do we do that? Maybe we should call an immigration lawyer and ask him how to write the law. Um, And uh, here's what Purdue said. Um, The conversation was about the border security, also about legal immigration side. How to become much more effective in allowing the right right kind of workers to come here. Mm -hmm. Hmm. They'll stay at the current levels, and this is terrible, and rejigger how the mix is. Frankly, I think a lot of people will see benefits of that. This is his bill, by the way. They're going to rejigger the law. Um, You know, it um, it is foolhardy for uh, uh, Kushner to believe that he can come in and fix something this complicated. By the way, there's plenty of bills out there that, mm-hmm. that does do a lot of good things to fix the law. 
But it's quite clear that Republicans, as a party, are not going to support anything that helps America. Mm -hmm. And the Democrats, uh, frankly, are doing an equally poor job of coming to terms on really dealing with uh, the consequences, one, of undocumented immigration and of border security and of future flow and how future flow works. Both parties are to blame here. I mean, right. you know, you're, if you're listening to this show thinking that we, we love the Democrats and immigration, you are sadly mistaken. All i got to say is, uh, you know, the deportation president to get my idea of where we stand on here. So this has been kind of a funky thing for Mr. Kushner, and I think Kushner's plan is... Uh, um, I think you can best describe it as DOA <laughs> yeah. on Capitol Hill. I don't think we're going to see this happen, any, any, this fix, anytime soon. And, and when you see things like Kushner and Miller have a, quote, good working relationship, I think you see at the end of the day that this is not something that's really going to be yeah. functional. Let's take our first break here on the Immigration Hour. We'll be right back in our next segment. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour. Uh, again, this is your host, Charles Cook, and I have my partner, Hedo Galib, here with me. Eva, this, is, this is a fun day in immigration, isn't it? Besides six months till the next election, uh, the New York Times um, had a terrific article uh, that came out yesterday on uh, immigrants and crime, and particularly undocumented. undocumented immigrants and crime. Now, there's a lot of studies, of course, in, that I'm aware of that show that there's no connection between the two, both whether it's illegal or undocumented immigrants. Mm -hmm. um, but um, a report came out uh, last year from the Marshall Project and Upshot uh, that said that people complained about because when they show there's no causal connection right. between increased immigration and crime in the U.S. Why a lot of complain? well, what, they were arguing that well, yeah, of course that's legal immigration, mm -hmm. but of course everybody knows that illegal immigrants, illegal aliens They're create crime oh, everywhere. Oh, and we're yeah. just inundated with crime from illegal immigrants. Um, and it turns out that's not true. Well, what about all the gang members? Aren't yeah, it turns, out that's, it turns out that most of them are U.S. citizens. <laughs> uh, so, this, so recently, the, the, this article, uh, which was written by Anna Flagg uh, in the New York Times yesterday, took a new data to address the issue. Uh, uh, you know, suggesting that illegal immigration does not lead to higher local crime rates. Now, you think about how do you collect data about that? Well, actually, it's it's not as hard as you would think. Pew uh, recently released estimates of the undocumented population in metro areas. Uh -huh. uh, the Marshall Project compared that with local crime rates published by the FBI for the first time. So there's an opportunity for a broader analysis of how unauthorized immigration might affect crime rates, and so it's happened. And okay, now one thing we know, this is what's weird. I grew up in New York mm -hmm. in the '60s and '70s. Mm -hmm. You grew up in Detroit, mm -hmm. or near, not that far from Detroit, mm -hmm. and uh, in Dearborn uh, in the '80s, right? '70s and '80s. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, How was crime in Detroit in that area when you were growing up? Um, I was actually in, I was born in Chicago in, in the '80s. Okay. It was very bad. It was bad, it right? Was very bad. It was actually so unsafe that even near Evanston, which is a great area, mm -hmm. suburb of Chicago, we were broken into twice. Okay, so it was really bad. Mm -hmm. I mean, I grew up in, in New York area when I was a kid in the '60s, and it was bad. Yeah, you didn't go into the city anymore. No. No. Uh, I remember when my dad's, my mother, my my mom's mom had a stroke, and she was in the Bronx at the time. Oh. Uh, and uh, my dad, and mom went over from Jersey to go visit to go go, go help her. And, you know, they, he got beat up coming from his car that he parked outside of her apartment. I mean, it was crime, violent crime, 
was terrible in the 70s and 80s uh, and the 60s in these big cities. And what we've seen really is just a complete collapse of violent crime. Right, there's a decrease. I mean, a a huge decrease, a collapse of violent crime in these, particularly in areas where there's lots of immigrants. Right. I mean, New York City has probably been the focal point of most immigration over the last 30 years. I mean, it's, their population is like 35 or 40 percent immigrant in the city. And what you saw, especially during this last decade, between 2007 and 2016, is huge recorded decreases in violent and property crime, uh, property crime across the United States. Particularly it, with areas with unauthorized migration. Exactly. So isn't it interesting? So in, in areas where there's higher amounts mm-hmm. of undocumented immigration, right. you have lower amounts of crime. That sounds like statistical analysis that people can actually do. You, you know what they also call that? Facts. Right. Hashtag facts. Right. Uh, there's also been a slight decrease in property crime. So violent crime is way down. And by the way, just so you're clear, clear, undocumented immigration uh, is either a civil violation if you mm-hmm. overstay your visa, right. so it's not even a crime, mm-hmm. or it's a federal misdemeanor if you come across the border illegally, a one-time misdemeanor, mm-hmm. uh, punishable by six months in jail or or five hundred dollar fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so isn't it interesting that you see this? This this category of crime is you know, the article went through assaults, robberies, murders, burglaries, mm-hmm. and there's literally no link right. between increased undocumented immigration right. and crime, and that's generally because, generally speaking, criminals don't come here. Criminals are much more successful in their home countries, preying upon the weak. Now, that doesn't mean people aren't victims here, and lots of immigrants are victims. Mm-hmm. We know that from the U visa program. Maybe we'll talk about the U visa here in a second. Uh, but what's interesting about this is that the idea that illegal immigration increases crime is now factually and statistically proven mm-hmm. to be false. Right. Now, I'm sure President Trump will tweet about that. <laughs> Tomorrow. I hope he does. What's interesting is one of the criticisms is that there it's hard to gather doc, you know data on undocumented mm-hmm. immigrants. Isn't that part of the problem though? I mean, don't we want to be able to get them documented well, sure, so yeah. that way we can gather? Well, data. think about it. What if we just documented them all? Exactly. I mean, wouldn't that be part of the solution rather than criticizing the fact that they exist? If they're already here. And they're already working, which mm-hmm. the vast majority are. That's why they're not committing crimes, by the way. Right. Uh, and uh, why don't we just document them? Right. We don't have to give them all green cards, but we could document them. Right. And then not only are they counted in the census, which they're trying not to count these mm-hmm. folks in the census, which is just stupid. I mean, Atlanta, Georgia may lose a, a seat in Congress, they don't count them. Yeah. I mean, there's almost a million undocumented immigrants in Georgia. You don't count them, you're losing a congressional seat. Mm-hmm. So that would just be stupid of them to, to do that. Uh, so I just think this is fascinating. This, this, by the way, this result resembles other studies, mm-hmm. including by the Cato, our folks at Cato. Alex Naraste and David Beer found that unauthorized immigrants in Texas committed fewer crimes than their native born counterparts by analyzing who's in jail and who's arrested. Yeah. Um, and a state-level analysis in criminology and academic journal found that undocumented immigration did not increase violent crime. It was, in fact, associated with slight decreases in that. And another case that went through from a couple of years ago, a uh, study found that unauthorized immigrants are less likely to be incarcerated. Right. I mean, my goodness, this is, this is not, not, not that neither of us are advocating for undocumented immigration. We're not saying everybody should come here illegally. No. We need to fix our legal immigration system for that. But those that are here 
we're already seeing, you know, this is the first year we're seeing an increase mm -hmm. in the number of undocumented immigrants. And they're almost all asylum seekers at the border, by the way. Yeah. They're almost all turning themselves in at the border. So it's not like we're increasing people who are getting, really? getting in successfully. Um, but what we are seeing is this massive change mm -hmm. in, you know, why people are coming here. Right. And they're not coming here to commit crimes. They're actually fleeing criminal behavior. Exactly. Um, and um, I, it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Uh, it, as, I mean, as someone, as a team who work frequently with undocumented people, uh, some of the most humble, Mm -hmm. Honest, uh, hard just hardworking people I've ever met in my entire oh, yeah. life. Oh, yeah. Not denigrating U.S. citizens, but I got to tell you, these folks are doing jobs that Americans won't do, right. um, and they're doing them well, oh, yeah. and they're being successful. And it's funny because there are so few undocumented immigrants that are arrested for these violent crimes that when they are arrested, it's big news. Oh yeah. You know, not every murder is reported in America or even in any metropolitan area. No. But when an immigrant commits it, it's reported, right? It's a, it's a headline. It's a headline, yeah. uh, but that's because it's so infrequent. Right. Not because it's so frequent that and, it's happening. And because it's, it's flashy. I mean, they want to be able to, to further their agenda and, and promote this, whereas facts are telling us otherwise. I think, uh, I mean, we've, we've seen that with so many different, you know, minority groups where, you know, they've been stereotyped and, and the media takes advantage of it because it gets readership and, and hits on, on, you know, social media and whatnot. But, but these flashy headlines aren't telling the real story, which we can find from studies such as this one. Exactly. And the other part of this, this article was great. Robert Adelman, a professor at SUNY Buffalo, um, He's at the Marshall Project as part of his research. He said something really interesting. Uh, according, a lot of people believe that immigrants put pressure on native-born populations on jobs, mm -hmm. increasing job competition that indirectly leads to more crime. Adam said, no, there's no evidence of that. In fact, the impact of undocumented immigrants is similar to what the research indicates about immigrants overall. They tend to bring more economic and cultural benefits to their communities, particularly come to America to find work, not to commit crimes, and they tend to have an overall beneficial impact on the communities they live in. Right. I mean, this is, it, it's, it's not surprising to us no. who regularly work with immigrants. Um, but you have to wonder who's reading this article. Yeah. It's not the people that are afraid of immigrants. You, mean, you put stuff up like this on Facebook mm -hmm. for your friends to read it. They don't read it. No. Because it, you know, it doesn't it doesn't satisfy their worldview. Mm -hmm. And they a lot of these folks that are very anti-immigrant really only want to see things that are in their worldview. Right. And nothing more than that. Right. And uh, you know, you know, unfortunately when you've got facts out there and you refuse to recognize them, you continue to live in ignorance. I, right. I mean, I, I taught my kids growing up the best, you know, what you need to do is find the truth that is, it pertains to you yeah. and make sure you keep and challenge those, those things that aren't true. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as, as someone, I mean, I grew up in an immigrant house. Hey, but you grew up in an immigrant household. Uh, we, see, we saw immigration firsthand. Yeah. You with your mom and dad, me with my grandparents, and it was, mm -hmm. you know, to me, immigration was an extraordinary blessing. Right. It was an extraordinary thing that, that helped us. That's right. Um, I think that's key, though. You get to, when, you, when you, you basically defeat those stereotypes by dealing with it firsthand, you can change whatever mindset you have, whatever, you know, 
you know, based on, I'm sure, biases over the years. Well, even when you see on television, you know, Miami Vice uh, back in the day going after Colombian oh, yeah. drug cartels or yeah. even TV, even stuff on Netflix that really right. focus on, you know, the, the, the bottom level aspect of, of immigration right. and how bad it is. You know, you, re- you see those stories, you read those things, but you're really not getting the full story until right. you work with the communities and you actually live with those communities. Right. And just talk to your neighbors. Talk to your, I mean, there are kids at your kids' schools that are dealing with these issues and you see the benefit of, of you know, the grocer at the grocery store that's bagging your, you know, groceries that may speak a different language. Talk to them. Get to know people. They're all, they're all similar to you. Just, it, it's just, just amazing. I, I just love the fact that, that these studies continuously come out in a, in a time when the leader of our country Every day attacks immigrants. Mm-hmm. Every single day he attacks immigrants. And in the long run, that is bad for America. Oh, yeah. It's bad not only internally in the United States. It's bad for, you know, how we view each other. But it also is, be- is bad internationally. Right. You know, America, the world looks to America as this, is a, this extraordinary country which is not built on ethnicity. Yeah. Which is not built on religion, no. which is not built on similarities no. of the way you look or act or feel, but rather is built upon the concept of freedom mm-hmm. and the belief that we can all rise together. Right. Uh, the, this is a lot what Reagan talked about, the shining city on a hill. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think by the time Trump's done, he's going to have a big pit in the ground. Yeah. Uh, and that shining city may ultimately disappear. It's, uh, it's tragic. Uh, the way this this is going. But uh, we're going to take a break here on our next segment on the Immigration Hour America's Liberty. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour America's Web Radio. By the way, if you have any comments or questions, you're welcome to email me at chuck at immigration.net. You can email Hibba at Hibba at hgalib at G-H-A-L-I-B at immigration.net. Um, and um, uh, don't call. But you can certainly email us. Um, and you'll notice we don't have commercials in our podcast yet. We're working on that. Little breaks in there. Uh, if you want to sponsor us, <laughs> you're welcome to do that. I don't think that's going to happen. But you guys don't want commercials anyway. Who Nobody wants commercials. I hate commercials in yeah, podcasts. You, you get know? this for free. Why not? Yes, you know, it's for free. Um, and, uh, you know, we're having to rebuild our, our listenership mm-hmm. because I don't have access to the iTunes account right now oh. from our last distributor who's still fighting me on holding all my old podcast, <laughs> my 10 years worth of podcasts mm-hmm. on there. So hopefully we'll get that soon. Uh, but yesterday, the Washington Post broke an article last night mm-hmm. that was wild, wild. Uh, apparently, uh, prior to Kirsten Nielsen and uh, and uh, uh, Ronald Vitiello uh, leaving DHS. Now, uh, uh, Vitiello was an ICE guy. Uh, this happened. According to seven current and former DHS officials, the administration wanted to target the, quote, crush of families, close quote, that had crossed the U.S.-Mexican border after the president's failed zero-tolerance policy, in 2018, the ultimate purpose, officials said, was a show of force to send the message that the United States was going to get tough by swiftly moving to detain and deport recent immigrants, including families with children. So this is the idea. The operation included an effort to fast-track immigration court cases, one, to allow the government to obtain deportation orders against those who did not show for hearings, 
quite possible if um, uh, uh, if you don't get notice of the hearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, officials said 90% of those were found deportable in their absence. Yeah, that's that's literally not true. Um, and the subsequent arrests would require coordinated raids against parents with children in their homes and neighborhoods. What? WTF? <laughs> what? This was just this slide. This was literally just recently. Okay? This, uh, guess who put a halt to it, though? Well, but, but, you know, these, these people are no heroes, by the way. Just let's be clear what Vidiello and Nielsen, they halted it. Not because of anything other than no, the fact they weren't They were ready. concerned that the agents weren't prepared and the risk of public outrage and worries that would divert resources from the border. What? They weren't opposed because it was morally wrong no. or stupid. They, they were proposed because of the perception and the agents weren't ready. And the costs. Yeah. Well, you know, well, costs only because we have to spend money to do this and we're not going to use it at the border. Um, but, of course, whose brilliant idea was this? President Stephen Miller. Um, <laughs> President Stephen Miller and ICE Deputy Directory Matt, Matt, uh, Matt Albens uh, were especially supportive of the plan. Huh. Uh, that's shocking to it me. That's shocking. Stephen Miller wanted to arrest brown people and deport them. From their home. From their home with their children. Yes. Can you imagine the paddy wagon pulls up outside an apartment complex and they start putting babies inside with their moms huddled in shawls as we send them off to who knows where, an airplane somewhere? It's almost biblical in a catastrophe like that, that mass. It, 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 it sounds Holocaustian. Yes. In yes. some ways, like Separating it? families as if that wasn't enough, separating children from their parents. What about the kid who was born here? Yeah. Do you, is this like a Sophie's Choice kind of thing? You gotta uh, choose. You want your kid or do you want to? Yeah, just go. You can leave your kid here. They can, they can grow up in America. We will take care of it all. We leave them on the street. But uh, um, so this is this is stunning. Um, these two clowns, Miller and Albans, were eager to execute dramatic, highly visible mass arrests that they argued would help deter the soar, soar, this word again the soaring influx of families. But does this deter people? No. No. It hasn't. It's it's clearly evident. No. When when they the only the only thing to deter people from coming under the Obama so Obama saw this big increase mm-hmm. in twenty thirteen and fourteen right. How did he stop it? How did he slow it down to almost a trickle? It was easy. He won. Created. Put money into the programs mm-hmm. that discourage people from coming. One, job creation programs in the countries they were coming from, education programs, not wildly expensive, but, you know, several million dollars. And he created a a quasi-refugee program for the children of people who were in the United States as TPS holders. And that slowed it way down to a trickle. And what caused this big influx? One, Trump saying, I'm going to build a wall, nobody's going to be able to come in. Two, Ending the program for funding of these programs in these countries that kept them there. And three, ending the refugee program. Right. So now people come. Yeah. And, you know, Trump complains about, a lot about the Flores settlement. This Judge Flores. That was so funny, by the way. What a moron. Uh, the Flores settlement, which says that no child, in agreement with the United States government, the Clinton administration, that no child will be detained longer than a set period of time. Right. Okay. Uh, they have to release them. Now, 
right now there's about two and a half million people on orders of supervision mm-hmm. in the United States. Um, that's a lot of people on orders of supervision. Oh, yeah. But ICE is handling it. Now, you, you, we had a blog this week. Uh, Phil Cook here at the firm wrote a great blog on. Right. He went to his first order of supervision. He'd never yeah, been to one before. I saw it, yeah. And it was eye opening to him. It? Yeah. He just he we, was. We don't realize sometimes because we're doing it. We so do it all the time. We don't. You bring people who haven't seen that before. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Right. Um, but you know who shows up at those? Everybody. Oh yeah. They all show up. People will just disappear. Oh yeah. They, there's an incentive to show up, and they're also. I mean, they're, they've got an appointment. They've got to meet. They know as long as you're not, you know, you're compliant. Just like they're coming to court. So these arrests, this this Albans Miller plan, uh, for New York, Chicago, L.A., and other the other largest U.S. One of those would be in Atlanta, by the way. Uh-huh. It's a large destination city. Um, some of the cities are considered sanctuary jurisdictions and do not cooperate with ICE. Uh, they were not singled out. So ICE had an initial target list of 2,500 adults and children, but the plan which remains under consideration. And if you don't think Miller asked Trump to make sure the new ICE guy would do this, you're sadly mistaken, uh, viewed the first step to as many as 10,000 migrants, the vast majority of families who have crossed the border the last 18 months seeking policy. By the way, 10,000 is apparently a bad week or a bad couple days at the border. So it's a minimal amount of people. And it was being done for, hey, look at us. Yeah. Look what we're doing. Look at these bad people we're coming after. The criminals. Um, the criminals uh, that showed up legally at the border through one of these loopholes <laughs> to apply for asylum, yeah. who were then denied entry to the United States, and either made to wait in Mexico, who then crossed the border and waited for the border patrol to pick them up and said, I want to apply for asylum in the United States. Right. So the objections that the tel- Vidiello and Nielsen had um, were mostly operational and logistical. So I'm not saying, you know, this is quite clear. Nielsen, you know, there are no heroes here. Mm. You know, this is just a different level of evil. Yeah. It's just a different it's level a, of it's evil. It's a more strategic level. <laughs> they actually think things through before they commit Yeah, we, we want to more strategically hurt people right. rather than randomly hurt people. It's practical. Uh, here's the quote. There was concern that it was being hastily put together would be ineffective and might actually backfire by misdirecting resources. Uh, so it is funny that, that people can say, well, look at Nielsen. All the same people have left the agency. She put babies in jail. Right. She kept babies in jail. Now, some people will say, well, Obama did too. What Obama did was nothing. And awful, but still nothing in comparison to what this clown car is actually doing right now. And what they um, want to do. And, and yet, you know, uh, they wanted thousands and thousands of targets. Um, and uh, you know, Trump, by the way, this is one of the reasons he basically fired Vidiella and Nielsen, because mm-hmm. they wouldn't do this. Oh. Um, and um, uh, it, one thing that's really kind of fun to see is Trump's reaction to how his policies are creating more illegal immigration. Yeah. His policies are created. These are not being done because he's really good on illegal immigration. Mm -hmm. He actually is causing a lot of the undocumented immigration. Um, And, uh, you know, of course, a a New York official said, you know, uh, the level of depravity in terms of this administration has no bounds. It's just insane. It's inhumane. There's no sense of understanding that the implications are for greater, greater society. 
There is no consideration that these families are making positive economic contributions. It's about fear-mongering to the nth degree. By the way, Vidiello is no wiener. I mean, this guy is a 30-year veteran of the Border Patrol. Um, he was going to be the first confirmed ICE. You know, by the way, Trump has still had no confirmed ICE director. You know that, right? Yeah. There's a, no confirmed ICE director yet. Um, so he was kicked out April 5th. Two days later, uh, uh, Nielsen leaves. Um, you know, it's, so, it's interesting. Miller, you know, President Miller is working behind the scenes here uh, with the, uh, with Trumpasso um, to, to basically whisper in his ears that some members of his administration, they, his best they don't have his best interests <laughs> in his heart. They're, they're not here, but they're too worried about their own reputations to carry out his agenda effectively. They're, see, Miller, Miller's golden. When he leaves the White House, he's got a long career of anti-immigration bashing ahead of him. Oh, yeah. he's, gonna, he's golden for life. He's, he's going to be able to get a job as an anti-immigration basher at FAIR, at Numbers, at CIS, any number of places, and even work on Capitol and other campaigns for nativists oh, yeah. in the future. He's got nothing to lose. But these people that had mainstream Republican leanings right. that came to work for the administration in, a, in, in an attempt to temper the nuttiness, mm-hmm. the evality, that's a new word, by the way, it's kind of a Bushism, an evality of these people, they're going to need jobs in the future. Yeah. Nielsen literally may never be able to get another job. Right. Well, she might sit on the board of a private prison industry like her former boss is currently doing. Um, but, you know, the reality is they are worried about their reputations. Yes. Because they, they do have a career. They have families. They have kids to put through college. Uh, and it's uh, it's really just uh, just an insane idea that this was going forward. Now let's keep in mind the DOJ now has a rocket docket for these families. Right. We know from our own practice that people that had hearings coming up in the next six months have already rescheduled. They're they're off the calendar with both visiting judges or the new judge. We don't have a judge yet, uh, and they are in fact prioritizing the removal of these families just today. Right. One of our uh, associates went to court mm-hmm. to get a change of venue motion for somebody who lives in Massachusetts, right. happened to be detained here while visiting friends. He's been in proceedings in Massachusetts for a couple of years, has a pending SIJ case, mm-hmm. and the judge says, not only am I denying your change of venue motion, but I'm setting a hearing today on the merit hearing on your withholding case. Now, that's, I think that's a violation of the regs, and, you know, he may want our client deported, and we'll appeal and we'll win and get the case reopened, but this is the type of depravity right. that is running the agency, much like uh, the this sheet that was put out by EOIR. Um, and I, I don't know if you've seen this, Hibba. The it, it, you know, the, I saw the response. Well, you saw the response was great. Um, I loved it. But the, the letter itself uh, from the judges is is just tremendous. But the the nonsense that was put out by EOIR. Now, we know the guy who put that out, don't we? That's yeah, James McHenry, yeah, right? Yeah. James McHenry was an immigration judge. Uh, what we call a trial attorney or assistant chief counsel here in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was his practice to kind of mutter and mumble himself along and, you know, never really take hard positions and basically, you know, complain about everything else. But, you know, he was just kind of a, you know, go along to get along, never, never a great help on cases. 
but neither one to really um, uh, 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 put himself yeah, out there. Oh yeah. right? he has been but he has apparently found himself a home in the, uh, in the EUIR. They came out with a faction. Now, first of all, there's a great article that came out from the Washington Post. Um, it said this, when we see politicians or government officials writing fact checks on of their own, <laughs> we break out our, we break out our magnifying glass. <laughs> yes, we do. Uh, this is the new myth versus fact document from EOIR, a five-page document attempting to, to debunk 18. 18 claims about immigration. Um, and in fact, it seems like, as this reporter noted, EOIR officials are more misusing the fact-checking format to make a point about issues that no one is mischaracterizing. The first myth, uh, there is wide discrepancy in asylum grant rates across all immigration courts. Huh. That's not a myth. <laughs> That's, That's a fact. And it's published by EOIR. It's published by EOIR. And yet, the, here's the fact. The median asylum grant rate for all immigration courts is 11%. 80% of the courts, 50 out of 62, have grant rates of 21% or more. 12 have grant rates more than 12% above the national grant rate. Only one have grant rates above 50%. It's no myth that the rate of granting asylum cases varies widely by judge and location. In their own detailed analysis, they, they put this medium grant rate out. 80% of immigration courts are clustered within 10% of the median grant rate. All right, true. But there's still a wide discrepancy. In New York, there are some, hallelujah, 60% of the cases are granted. Yeah. Okay, next myth. Few aliens, that would be human beings, by the way, fail to attend the immigration court proceedings. Fact, 44% of all non-detained removal cases end with an absentia order. That's not true. That's simply not true. The EOI documents focus on in absentia orders for 40% of non-detained removal cases. That's one of several categories tracked by immigration. It's not their overall rate. In fact, the overall in absentia rate is 14% mm -hmm. of cases. So they're cherry-picking. Oh, of course they're cherry-picking. Another word for that, by the way, is lying. Oh, yeah. The lying is the other word for that. Miss James, come on, man. But why What are your kids going to think of you when you grow up and they see this crap? We're talking about EOIR. Why would they have an agenda? They, well, they do have an agenda now. I know. They that's, do have an agenda now. The they're, I mean, they are run by nativists. They are being staffed by nativists. A lot of the new judges are clearly nativists. They're being trained to deny cases. Their the head the sessions was a nativist. Barr is clearly a nativist. So clearly it goes on. Here's another myth. Um, look at this last myth before we close our show today. Most aliens with representation are granted asylum immigration court. That's a myth, they said. The asylum grant rate for cases with representation is approximately 21%. The asylum denial rate for cases with representation is 48%. Okay? This portion, they point out, of the fact check lacks necessary context <laughs> since it focuses only on asylum grants and denials for immigrants with lawyers. Missing is a side-by-side -side comparison with immigrants who don't have lawyers. In lieu of the comparison, the EYR says the grant rates for lawyered-up immigrants are essentially the same as the national average. But the word essentially is being stretched beyond its normal meaning. In other words, 
they're lying. <laughs> Quote, having a lawyer makes a huge difference across the immigration law system, Aaron Rednick from AIC says. Um, Track uh, talks about this. Uh, that those without lawyers are denied asylum in 79% of cases, yet those without lawyers are denied 18% of the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact, the fact check goes, I mean, it's huge, goes on and on. This is, this is the Trumpification of our immigration. Now, remember, they're hiring all these judges. Right. These are not lifetime appointments. They're trying. They can be fired, by the way. And let's hope that the next president gets in and purges these people who who are abusing immigrants in the immigration process. Much like today, where our associate will go to court and tell the judge it's a violation of our client's due process to schedule a hearing four hours later on withholding removal case without time to prepare the client, without time to get expert witnesses, without time to even brief the case and prepare a brief because a judge has prejudged the withholding case on a gang recruitment at a, situation. At a five-minute master calendar. At a, if even a five-minute oh, master yeah. calendar. So, you know, it is... Maybe we'll have Alexis on if we can talk about this here. due process. He's violating our own immigration laws. And our client doesn't live here. His witnesses aren't here. His witnesses are in Massachusetts. Now, it is a, it is a you know, it's a nightmare about what's happening today in the immigration process. It's hey, this is Hibba. Thank you for Thank joining you. me today. Thank you We're going to have you back soon. This is fun. This is Chuck Cook. We'll talk to you next week on the Immigration Hour on America's, not America's web radio anymore. <laughs> we'll talk to you next week here on the Immigration Hour at Cookbacks Cook Immigration. Cookbacks Immigration. Thank you for joining. Bye-bye.